Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and today's guest is really a special one. We missed each other by a year at Gladiators. He is a magician Overwatch coach, having coached many teams in the Pacific Pacific and Australian contender scene. He then moved on to be an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Gladiators. Now he is the head coach of the Washington Justice. Please let me welcome Sitio Chungqing, maybe better known as John Galt. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, I'm John Galt and I'm the new head coach for Washington Justice and uh, I'm going BlitzCon. I'll be coaching Team Singapore and I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited for Justice. I'm really excited for a lot of things for the 2020 season. Awesome. I'm I'm excited to get you on the show. We're going to talk about, th there hasn't been a deep dive into, I would say, you as a person, which I think is what makes this show and my my, my doing content so fun. Um, but I always like to start the show pretty easy, John, before we get into the hard-hitting stuff of what your life was like. So I don't know if people know this. You are definitely, I noticed uh, way back when, and this was like one of the coolest things I noticed about you, is that you're at least somewhat into magic, especially like sleight of hand. How far does your love of magic go? Uh, I used to dabble a lot. Uh, I used to dabble a little bit more in magic tricks when I was younger, when I was mm -hmm. in high school. But uh, in Singapore, it's 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 a very hectic life. It's mm -hmm. it's it's stereotypically Asian, where everyone is, you know, everyone has to study for ten hours a day, that sort of stuff. So um, I didn't I didn't really have a lot of times to pursue other hobbies. Uh, mm -hmm. So a magic trick was one of those things I picked up fast, but I dropped pretty fast as well. Mm -hmm. So did you have any like famous magicians you like? So I'm like really big into mentalism magic and then sleight of hand. So like off the top of my head, it's like Colin Cloud is pretty good. Darren Brown. And then we have like Shin Lim, who's amazing at sleight of hand. Yep. Uh, I like Shin Lim, but like I said, uh, I really just dabble. I do follow mm -hmm. the FISM, so the people who mm -hmm. wins, you know, every year. Uh, and I like street magic, but I don't think I have any names I could throw at you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So another thing I kind of noticed, and I, I, at least someone who has the same name, is that you're also kind of into art. Is that correct? I think, I, in, I think I'm. What do you mean by art? Like, like drawing. Uh, once again, I dabble. I one thing is I dabble in a lot <laughs> okay. of stuff. I like. I'm letting you know stuff. that if I, if these, yeah. are, do you have a, a piece called the Impossible Souffle? Yes, it, I think so. Okay. Yeah. okay, I'm letting you know if that's your dabbling, your dabbling is pretty freaking amazing, okay? Like, you have three pieces that are at least accessible by the internet, okay? The Impossible Souffle, the Umbre Car, and the Flower Haiku, all of which are really, really good, right? Like, I never thought anyone would, like, bring them up, yeah. Because those were the things that I was doing, you know, I was, I was in the military. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was trying to find other hobbies, right? And then... Drawing was something I tried to pick up, but once mm -hmm. again, dropped it pretty fast. So I think that that says a little bit of what I am like as a person. I, I pick things up fast and I drop them pretty quickly in search for like the next new interesting thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you get to at least uh, somewhat proficient. But I will have to say like those are all creative, creative things. Like you have a lot of creative things. So a lot of people tend to be either one way or the other. They tend to be either very logical or very creative. Um, you seem to have at least some access to to both to, a, I would say, a, a fairly proficient level. And I think if you probably pursued them, you could get very good at all of them. So that's that's kind of something very unique. Has it always been that way for you? Uh, I think me and my brother, we, we, we come from like a really competitive family. So uh, <laughs> we, we like to be good at what we do and we like to be, we like, yeah, we like to learn things and we like to be, like I said, we like to be co competent at it. Uh, but we, we also know that to get competent at something, we need to spend a lot of time. time. Yeah. So uh, what we do is we, 
we, we, we do this thing where we, we reach a certain level where we're happy with it and then we'll move on in search of like other things, right? So magic trick, um, uh, drawing, lock picking, uh, badminton applies for sports as well. Yeah. And I, I do like I do like arts a lot, the humanities side, because uh, I, you know, the last 20 years of my education has predominantly been in science. Yeah. So I definitely want, I wanted, you know, I wanted to reach out to the other side of uh, the other side of the field, which is, you know, art, humanities and, and whatnot. That's why I read a lot. I, I do a lot of drawing at a certain point in time so that I had like a more balanced lifestyle rather than just, you know, math and number, math and number. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you mentioned you have at least one brother. Do you have any other siblings? No, just one. Okay. What's the age difference between the two of you? Uh, he's one year younger. We do a lot of similar things together. He People say he looks like me, so we look like twins, but uh-huh. yeah. You, don't, you don't agree with that, do you? You're like, no, we don't look anything alike. Uh, but I think that's like common in siblings. Like, you know, everyone's like, oh, you guys look alike. And then, you know, everyone looks at each other. No, we don't. So, you know, different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's it like growing up in Singapore, right? What, where is it like where you grew up in Singapore, I guess I should say? So if you check, so every, every four years, uh, there is this thing called the PISA test, where mm-hmm. it's an organization that moves around the world and they test a random, what, 15 years old in, uh, in, 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 in math, science, and I think reading. Mm-hmm. And Singapore, if you check the, 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 the latest one, I think Singapore was number one. So we were number one in math, we are number one in science, we are number one in reading. So why I'm not trying to brag about it, because I, but I think that's like, that's one thing that Singapore is known for. We are known as like an ultra competitive state. Uh, we spend like like billions of dollars on tuition. Uh, everyone, every single student is pushed uh, to like the utmost limit. Uh, you know, I think our our prime minister mentioned that we 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 intended to be a meritocratic state because we are a very small country. So we mm-hmm. have no choice. We have no natural resources. We have no choice but to but to to, to nurture ultra competitive citizens that would go out in the world and, and and be good at be highly competent at what we are supposed to do. So I'll say that I I grew up in this this environment of like ultra competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe in a way it it builds who I am as a person today. Okay. Uh, so what did your parents do growing up? Uh, what did my parents do growing up? As in, when I grew up or when yeah. my parents grew up? No, 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 when you were okay. growing up. We're not going to okay. go that far so, back. I mean, if you want to, we can. Like, I'm sure that could be cool too, <laughs> but that's probably too far back. Yeah, okay. You're not so, that old. <laughs> so I think my father is a very strict uh, father. He mm-hmm. is a very strict father. And uh, he, he he's the kind of dad that, you know, spoil the rot, spare the rot, spoil the child. So he, he's really, really uh, big on corporal punishment. So mm-hmm. me and my brother, we got smacked to like, you know, an inch of our life. I think I think it's like an Asian stereotype, right? You know, yeah. we, we are known as, Asians, Bishans, that, that sort of like big threshold racist stereotype. But in some ways, yeah, in some ways in my family, it's true. My mom and my dad are both very, very, uh, very, very strict on us. Uh, they believe in corporal punishment. They believe in good grades. We had to be like top 10 in class, that sort of stuff. So that, that, was, that was how I grew up right, in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the family. Mm-hmm. What's it like growing up underneath that side? Do you think that's a good thing, a bad thing? I mean, there's definitely benefits for it, but I could also, uh-huh. like, I mean, at least in a lot of uh, Eastern cultures, like, I heard, like, things like suicide rates are actually pretty high um, and depression and stuff like that. And I wonder if maybe some of this stuff leads to that because you're forced yeah. into the society. Yeah, so I, I don't agree with that sort of society. And should I start a family? I I definitely am not going to, you know, smack my child to an inch of his life. But, uh you know, my I think my country's uh, leadership 
many, uh, my country leadership, you know, the prime minister, the ministers, they yeah. would say that the cabinet, they would say that uh, it's it's practical, it's essential. Yeah. For, you know, if you look up, if you Google Singapore, we are a really, really small country. We, we started from nothing. So they would say that, you know, I, I they know that it's uncomfortable growing up in such an environment, but they think that it's necessary. They want, you know, if yeah. a Singaporean goes to another university, they have to be the top in that. They have to be the top in this field. They have to be the top in that. So there is a lot of expectations. Uh, I think there's a, I don't think it's healthy mentally. And mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I think Singapore, uh, it's, I don't think we're a very happy nation. I'm not sure how tr- objectively true that is, but anecdotally, I think a lot of my friends, you know, a lot of us, we're not that happy. I think we are generally successful. A lot of them are yeah. getting uh, are under like high paying jobs, but I think generally, I don't think they're very happy people. And I think that's, that's the nature of the, um, that's the nature of our country's a meritocratic yeah. race. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, I grew up in yeah. I grew up under parents like that. I think there was one time my father. I felt like some. I feel like a, I didn't fail, but I didn't get good results for one of the tests. Okay. Right. What my what is a, the, what is not a good result? That is a clarification. That I think is important. I I is it like, like a B? Yeah, I was like a B minus or some shit. My father took like this like thesaurus. I think I, I think it's, I still have it. So wait, let me describe. It's here. He took he he takes this, and he tosses it at me. It hits my head, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you know. So that that's my parents. I, before I go into like child abuse and everything, I, I think my father and mom are great. It's just it's a different culture, maybe. Yeah. So my parents are very strict. Yeah, that's why yeah. I, I want to. I do. think that's I think that's an important thing. People like we always try to look at it from like our perspective. Like, oh my god, if someone did that in the United States, that would be like terrible. And yes, it would be. But there's fundamentally different cultures that people grow up in mm-hmm. uh, that. Maybe they're not the ideal for certain things, but they definitely uh, help with other things. Okay, so like when you mentioned an ultra competitive and at least successful and like how you have to be in life being the best, that probably helps to do that. Um, yep. That also sounds very military, like I won't lie. It sounds very much, I imagine that we're gonna get into your military because I find military fascinating because I wanted to join and I got rejected. So unlucky on me. Um, but kind of going into that, do you do you mm-hmm. remember like the the worst thing that happened to you that you got punished for? Like, is there anything in your head that you're like, oh my god, this is by far the worst thing that? Okay, happened. to be fair, right? I think my parents are very fair. Like when they yes. punish me, right? There, there is a good reason for that, right? They, okay. they told me they warned me that you know if I don't go, if I don't get this result, I'll get punished. If I don't do this, I'll get punished. Yeah. And this was you must remember this is years ago. So yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, I don't think my parents are the same people then. I think. They acknowledge that they they used to be too strict. I think that's something okay. that I I'm kind of happy because I think my parent, my mom and dad, they were like, you know what? Maybe we didn't we didn't do it the right way, right? We we had mm-hmm. good intentions, like all parents do. Yeah. But you know, maybe we didn't do it the right way. And I think we had like a lot of heart to heart conversations as we uh, when we grew up, and we addressed these. Uh, I addressed these issues with my parents. My brother addressed these issues with my parents, and mm-hmm. I think we are we have a good relationship. You know? Like my parents and I, uh, mm-hmm. my parents and I, my parents and my brother, we have a good relationship. Yeah. But um. Yeah, but I would say that uh, it definitely built the kind of person I was today. Like, how my parents mm-hmm. treated me and my brother definitely built the kind of person I was yeah. today. Yeah, so... I mean, that makes sense. Like, you, you've moved... I mean, even if you look at your Overwatch mm-hmm. career, you moved quite quickly from just being in contenders to getting onto a team to making a head coach. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's good. Can I ask you, what was that talk like when you went into your parents? Like, one of those talks where you were like, hey, listen, we need to talk about the way that 
like we need to talk about the way that we were raised because I I didn't like this. What was that like? Because I think that's good for a lot of people. So a lot of people grow up in not always great households, but going back and at least talking it out and trying to work through things, I think is an important thing in life in general to be able to to talk to your family and to work through your family. What was that like for you? Uh, I think it was very cathartic. I think uh, we managed to understand each other a lot better because one thing about you know strict parents is that uh, uh, I don't know how to explain this. When you have when you're strict, you have to slap on a persona, right? You cannot yeah. enjoy punishing your child, and I don't think my parents are the type that you know like smacking me and they're like, oh yeah, that felt good. You know, I just love <laughs> like you know yeah punishing my child. No, they're, they're not that kind. They they had a purpose in mind. They, I I need my son to not do this ever again i need my mm-hmm. son to study harder and that's why i hit him so um yeah so mainly we were we were really talking about whether that that uh that was efficient that was yeah mm-hmm. or even was that something that i wanted to pursue if one day i start a family was that something that i think would be good for my child right mm-hmm. so it started from like a very mundane conversation and we realized that you know what uh we are actually having a hard-to-hard talk because with asian pa- families you never had these kind of hard-to-hard talks, right? It's just that they're your senior, yeah. they're older than you, you have to listen to them. So having the opportunity to have this kind of conversation, I think was really, really healthy, yeah. really, really great for my brother and I and for my parents as well. Yeah, yeah that's something that I've noticed talking um, with different people from over. I've had people, so Evie mm. Feng, her family comes from, so Ham Tornado, her family comes primarily from China. I've had Susie Kim on here who her family is from Korea. And I noticed there's this aspect of family that kind of runs through at least both of those uh, different cultures. You mentioned this kind of almost like the same thing where you have to respect your elders and family is really important. What does that family dynamic look like? Because it's very different in, from most of the states, I would say. Like from what I've seen about people in different cultures, their association with family is way more important than like like my family. I don't talk to like any of them really, uh, very rarely. So uh, we, we spoke about different culture and that that is too true because like I, I think America, uh, correct me if I'm not wrong, yeah. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that like a culture where you turn 18 and you have to like, you should find your own apartment and a place to stay, that sort of stuff. That's Yeah, that's very like, common. I know when I was 18, I moved yeah. out and I didn't want to live with my family and it was like, as far yeah. away as like I can a, possibly get, like I will. With living yeah. with your family, right? That sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So in Asia, in Asia, there isn't such a stigma. Like you're, you're seeing, if, if you leave a family, it's like a normal thing because one thing, housing is really expensive, like really yeah. expensive and uh, in Singapore, housing is controlled as well. So you can't even purchase, you can't own a house unless you're married. So like our government has like very strict policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a low, we have like a declining birth rate because we are developed countries. Developed countries have declining birth rate. We have like a really low birth rate. So the government is like has policies where if you're not married to someone, you literally cannot own a house, that sort of stuff. So uh, because of like smaller pol- like policies like that, and this, this is true across Asia. For, yeah. there, there are similar policies across Asia and housing is really expensive, that sort of stuff. Uh, that means that we don't have that that expectations where you you have to move out of the house the moment you turn eighteen, right? Uh-huh. Most of the time, a, a lot of uh, you, uh, young adults they stay with their parents uh, to a pretty significant age. I'll, I'll say like 30, 35 until they get married, they move out of oh, the wow. house, and then the cycle repeats, right? Yeah. Let me just give me one second. I wanna. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm gonna change the thermostat. You making it colder okay. or warmer? Colder, so it's really hot in Singapore. It's like 105 yeah. Fahrenheit. So. Yeah. yeah, and humid too, isn't it? It's like ridiculously Very humid. humid. 
I know when I when I first moved to to LA, um, mm-hmm. I was so happy because the weather there is like perfect. It's, dry. it's very dry. It's dry because I came from where it snows uh, like two hundred to three hundred inches a year on average. Ooh. So mm-hmm. I was just dealing with lit- like there was literally times where the snow would be higher than your house, and so sure. it was like I moved to LA to get away from that. Also, during our summers, it also gets like ninety with high humidity. So it's like you get like one month of good weather. That is insane. Yeah, yeah, that is insane. So it's like it's, huge on the spectrum, right? Yeah, it's, it's one side to another. Yeah, it's it's actually it's not as cold as some places. Like I think Chicago is way colder, but LA has mm-hmm. perfect weather. But I just <clears throat> the people in LA are very different than people everywhere else. That was my biggest so, issue with. That's LA. pretty cool, right? Because like in, even in America, there's different cultures even yep. within states. Yeah, throughout the entire country, that's awesome. Yeah, I think the yeah. first question I asked like uh, David and Tim when I when I moved to uh, America was like it was like a political question. Because I was like, oh, is any is there any difference between you know red belts, uh, red states and blue states? Uh, you know, like all that, all that kind of questions. Because I thought it was really intriguing that because America is such a big country, yeah, there's a huge difference between states, right? And the way people think, that mm-hmm. like you guys have different leaders as well. Like each state yep. has like a governor and stuff like that. I thought it was really, really intriguing. Yeah. So, actually, I was going to ask you about politics. What are politics like in Singapore? Because obviously, the United States is. Some people would say we're going through a, a term turmoil type of. Because obviously, Donald Trump. A lot of people don't like Donald Trump and some of the stuff that's kind of happened. What are politics like in Singapore? So we have like a leading party that I don't think they have ever lost once. So uh, like a, I think some people call it like a benevolent uh, dictatorship. Okay. Some people describe it. I don't think our leaders like that title. I think they're very competent. Because mm-hmm. uh, even though it's a one-party system, what happens is this party, they, they, they pull like the top scholars of the field and then they put it back into like the, the governmental system. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're a top uh, scholar, like if you're a top student in Singapore, right, you're the top of the top in a very competitive society, it's highly likely you want to pursue the civil service. So using this cycle, huh. uh, our, the, our, leading sister, our leading political party generally has the smartest or the, yeah, the smartest... Uh, the smartest youth of the country and it goes back again and again so okay. i think we have fair elections but it's not easy to win them because all the smartest and brightest people are in one single political party that's kind of kind of cool huh so you do have fair elections that's awesome that they kind of pool all of that i wish that we did that to be honest i would be <laughs> i think things would be a lot different it's funny you mentioned like the the different states if you actually look at the states um mm-hmm. Like, there are certain areas in those states that uh, are completely different, too. So, like, uh, very a lot of times, like, cities tend to be a lot more uh, democratic on average. But then, like, outside rural populations tend to be a lot more red. So, even, like, within, mm-hmm. like, a red state, if you look at, like, some of the cities, they'll be completely blue. So, it's kind of weird mm-hmm. how that, that happens. So That, that is that's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, so, it, we have an interesting system for that. Um, so, re- go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, one ahead. question. This is really just yeah. to satisfy satisfy my curiosity. Does a red does a red state ever change to blue state or vice versa? There like, are the there are sw- there are swing states. So that that, we cool. call them swing states. So um, state. yeah. So like there's a couple states. Like Florida's a good example. I think Florida's one of the ones that has went back and forth. Um, I know Michigan occasionally has went back and forth from being um, red to blue. Like I think when Obama was elected, we voted, uh, for him for Michigan, but then I think Donald Trump won our state. It's also weird cause it's not by population. It's by electoral college and the electoral college mm-hmm. in itself is a very weird, uh, system cause it's set up differently in states. Yeah, it's um, like the represent, like each state represents yeah. a different, yeah, yeah but I, I, you, I you, you would think with 
all the representatives that maybe they would uh, like do a percentage. So like if 60% of the population wanted him, maybe it would be like six and four would vote that way. But it's not always like that. Sometimes it's just all or nothing. It's whoever's the majority, all of the votes go towards them. Some of them, they do split them. It's it's very odd. how they do it. Like, in mm. laws in the United States are also weird. Like, there, I can talk mm. about laws in the United States because there are, like, some yeah. that are states. So, like, therapy is one I always bring up with esports teams because everyone talks mm-hmm. about sports psychologists. And, yeah. like, there's a ton of issues with that in itself. But one of the major mm-hmm. issues people don't seem to realize is that if you're a, a therapist, I'm just going to say therapist because it's mm-hmm. easier. Therapist licenses are state-based. So... If you travel with a traveling season that is going to be happening here soon to Texas, guess what? That therapist cannot work with your people in Texas because it's based on where the location of the client is. So America is like middle multiple countries kind of yeah 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 some of them are federal where it's across the board so like for yeah so like for example weed is illegal federally okay like marijuana it's it's illegal federally but in certain states it's legal so, which means that, yeah. I know, if a, if a federal agent arrests you, they can still mm-hmm. charge you federally, but you can't be charged by a state agent. <laughs> I know, it's, that is, it's yeah. whack. I can it see is, a lot of, like, loopholes and a lot of, like, interesting arrows pointing, you know, this area, that area. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. When you start delving into that stuff, it is, it is annoying that's what it is it's just annoying (laughs) um so looking at your life in school obviously you had very stereotypical asian parents you said so i'm assuming that they really wanted you to push school did that allow for like any did they push like other extracurricular activities too like any sort of sports debate speech anything like that uh they didn't push me towards that regard but i was in uh there's an expectation well it's not an expectation it's literally compulsory for uh every student in Singapore to pursue one uh, co-curricular activity is what we call it, CCAs. So all of us must take up one activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so mine was debates. I also was in hockey, floorball. Uh, yeah, I think that, that, that that's about it. So sports, badminton, table tennis, debates okay. for one. Okay. Did you did you like those aspects or were those just things you like? Did you did you do the same thing where you got to a proficient level and then you just quit them too? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but I I enjoyed them like tremendously because uh, studying was very stressful. Like no one likes studying. Right? Yeah. So those CCAs, right? Those uh, mandatory CCAs was actually like a period of time where you could meet friends and you could like <laughs> find new friends uh, and, and and compete in things that are not math and science and, and <laughs> English. So I think we all uh, we all really really enjoyed. I think most people really enjoyed like the community behind CCAs, even if it's mandatory. Mm-hmm. What's the language of Singapore? Uh, English, but we have to learn one more language. So I have to learn Chinese. So I'm, I'm fluent in Chinese and English. Okay, uh, what style of Chinese? Some of my classmates will be fluent in English and Malay, for example. Okay. So you have to learn English plus one. Interesting. Can I ask why the country's uh, language... Because I don't, I don't... I'm assuming that Singapore's main language wasn't English all the time. It was, a, so, it was Malay at first, yeah. Okay, I think the Malay. national language to Malay, but like our, our administrative language, like the language that we use for, uh, you know, politics, commerce, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, it's it's English. So I would say that everyone in Singapore knows how to speak English. Yeah, that's yeah, last one. That's really cool. That and kind of interesting that you guys. I'm assuming because the same way you talked earlier, how you basically mm-hmm. need to be, be the best people. So you probably need a language that is utilized yeah. probably across most of the world. And I assuming yeah. English is pretty high up there. Yeah. So one of our one of our 
prime ministers, he, he passed away. He said, uh, English is something that you need for economic, uh, like commerce, mm-hmm. right? If you want to move to other states, you must learn English. Even if you are great at Chinese or great at things, uh, the powerhouse, uh, this was like in the eight, like 60s. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure when, 60s, 70s, 80s. And it says, you know, the powerhouse, the richest nation in the world is uh, United States. And mm-hmm. even if China rise, and he thought that, he, he made a prediction that it will rise after like decades, uh, we, US would still like be a powerhouse through a very, very long time. So yeah. they wanted all the Chinese, uh, all the, the citizens to learn English and Chinese. So regardless of who is the powerhouse, we would have- That like, is so smart. So like, like, that's the Singapore leadership, right? But- it, well, this is this isn't optional. It's forced onto us. So yeah. some people don't like it. Some people detest being forced to do stuff. I think that's that's like the natural state of people, right? Yeah. We don't like being forced to do stuff. But I would say that yeah, that's that's our country. Super pragmatic. That's that's a good thing. That that is also a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's so interesting that you were. Uh, what style of Chinese do you know how to speak? Because there's multiple different styles. Uh, I can understand Cantonese, uh, mm-hmm. and I can speak Mandarin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Uh, what I actually don't know. This is me being uncultured and uneducated. The Chinese teams that are in Overwatch, do you know what uh, mm-hmm. Chinese they speak? So Hong Kong speaks Cantonese, uh, mm-hmm. Taiwan speaks Mandarin, and China speaks uh, Mandarin. Okay. Okay. So have you ever had any conversation with any of the Chinese teams? Have you ever went up to them and like practicing? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Once in a while, I told Kushe it was a good Winston. So uh, yeah, I respect some of the play- the Chinese players. I, I I'm very happy that there are finally Chinese players in the league. You know, that's I cool. think there was always the, the initial fear that everyone will be Korean, but that's not quite true. I think we we are truly an international league, and we are getting more yeah. and more international with the home stand. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Do you ever find it funny that everyone thinks you can speak Korean? Because I see it all the time on like Reddit threads, and everyone's like, Happens. "Oh, John Galt speaks fluent Korean." I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure he doesn't. So even, even in LA, like some of the Korean uh, players, they when we didn't know who I am, and I introduced myself, they, they think I can speak Korean because you know, that that that's the, the yeah, it's this is thing I can speak Korean. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. I always find so, it hilarious when uh when that kind of stuff happens. So I'm assuming um, that mm-hmm. that military is mandatory because uh, it's pretty yes. mandatory in most cultures or in most yes. Eastern uh, cultures. So what's that like going from? I'm assuming you go from like high school to military, right? What's the what's the gap between there? Do you have to do any like testing to see where you place in the military? Uh, do you have to do any physical training, anything like that? So uh, in high school. Another thing that's mandatory is we have to take physical tests every year. So uh, if yeah, so the the year before you enter the military, yeah, you want to score well in that because if you don't score well in that, you have to serve like an extra two months, and no one wants to serve like extra a military service, right? So uh, I barely passed my 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 physical examination. I think I had to do. I think you had to do like at least one pull up to pass, and I, I was like, I was like, I need to do one pull up. I need to do one pull up, and then at the end of the day, I managed to you know train myself to do at least one pull up. So I managed to uh, skip the two months, and then alongside with the physical test, we needed to go. We needed to go for like health tests to make sure that we are we are fit. Uh, if you have any medical issues, uh, mm-hmm. they will put you to a more administrative duty. I think Korea has the same thing, so you won't mm-hmm. be in the combat side of things. Uh, and the last thing is you have to do like this IQ test uh, where it they find out whether you're fit for command, uh, basically. Yeah, so you have to do three three sets of tests, right? Interesting. And so... The health test, the physical test, and the... the if you the fail IQ any test. of those, you get an extra two months? Uh, if you fail the, the... If you fail the physical one, 
Okay. Yeah. So the health and the physical are different, right? The health, physical is how fit you are, but the health is <laughs> like you could be unfit but still healthy. Okay. I can relate to that. I can relate to that on uh, my doctor says I'm healthy. I'm working out now, so but soon we will be fit, fit and healthy. Um, Yeah, yeah. actually lost. uh, So after I I don't know if you put on weight during the season. I know that my first season I put on a ton of weight, like 60 pounds almost. Um, I'm a very bad stress eater. So that is how I deal with things. So but I I lost all of that. So it's Mm -hmm. it's been good. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Being so healthy and being fit is always great. Yeah. For, like, I think it's know, really, just, I think it's really important. Physical, but for the mind as well. Yeah. 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 I think it's really important. I do not plan on stopping this time, uh, no matter awesome. what happens. So, uh, but kind of looking at this uh, fitness, what is uh, going into military? Uh, you obviously took your test. How did you do on your test? And what did that mean for where you got placed in military? Uh, you never know how you do in your test. Yeah. So it's, Really? You just do the test and then you, you head on to recruit school, which takes about, I think, two or three months. So uh-huh. like the, the, that's a basic training, right? You, you learn how to not be, what they call it, they, you learn how to not be a civilian. And then you're forced to sort of subsume your identity. Like you, yeah. you're just like one of like, yeah, you're, you're not given, you're just called like recruit, right? You're not yeah. called your name because... Yeah, yeah, you're supposed they to wanna, be They want to dehumanize right? you. They want you to be functionally exactly. part of a system. And the easiest way to yeah. set anyone up for a system is to remove as much of their, their yeah. humanity as possible. Uh, not yeah, so sounding terrible. Day, it's know. actually very effective. I'm just throwing that. Boot camps are army, very yeah. effective. Yep, yeah. boot camps so are very... The first two months, right? Boot camp, right? If you are uh, fat, like if you if you don't fit the fitness criteria that army sets out, then you have to do four months. So no, like I said, yep. no one wants to do four months. Uh, yeah, so I did two months of that. It was... I really disliked it, but I don't think uh-huh. there's ever anyone that likes it because bootcamp is just horrendous. Like I would say bootcamp is worse than even like when I did harder stuff in military, the bootcamp is always the worst aspect because you came from like a very cushy life. You know, I was waking up after high school, I was waking up like 4 a.m. and I'm playing computer games. I'm chilling with my, my friends and it's straight from that into 5 a.m. wake up calls, right? And then like yeah. five kilometer runs and, 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 and like 50 pounds, uh, 50 pound backpack, uh, you know, 50 miles, that sh- sort of shit. So yeah, bootcamp was horrible for everyone, including me, mm-hmm. but we learned a lot. So, and that's, that's Do you have any too. stories about bootcamp that you kind of look back and reminisce on? Like, like when you when you see a player who's uh-huh. like complaining, you're like, oh, you think you have it bad? This one time at bootcamp, this happened. So bootcamp, I think I just, I just remember I puked a lot because even though I was fit, I was literally on the borderline fit, right? So every morning we had to run, I think, three kilometers. Fact, uh, mm-hmm. uh, let me convert to miles, maybe three miles. I think, sorry, three miles, yeah. maybe. Yeah, sorry, we, we ran more. Five k. I can't remember exactly. I think much. a five k is three point something miles. Yeah, three miles. So we ran uh, a decent amount every day in the morning, and then we ran more in the afternoon, and we ran more at night. And then I remember I puke, puke, puke. I just puked every, every time I ran because yeah, I, was, I just wasn't fit enough to run at the pace that they wanted us to run. And mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of puking. It's yeah, I don't think bootcamp was that hard. It was more of like the, the change that was hard. Uh, when I was training to be a non-commissioned officer, like in, in command school, yeah. that was harder. But by that time, I was already a, like a soldier, right? I was already used to bootcamp, so yeah. yeah. Okay, so you go through bootcamp. What's the next step? Mm-hmm. So after bootcamp, uh, depending on how well you perform in bootcamp, depending on the test you did, prior to military service, mm-hmm. you go into command school, uh, you go to either command school or you become like an, a regular uh, infantry man, uh, infantry medic, like like a normal yeah. uh, copra. Yeah. Lance yeah. copra. Yeah. Okay, so, so I, I take it you did pretty well in your tests. 
I did decently enough, I, I guess, that I was given an opportunity to pursue uh, command school. Uh, it wasn't an opportunity. You have, you have to say yes. So, so I, I was like, gonna say, okay, was it no. was it an option that you could be like, no, I just want to be an infantry. I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do this. Yeah. So yeah. So I went to command school and then I learned more stuff, like more guns. Uh, I learned how to, I learned how to talk to people. You are expected to talk to people in a certain way. We are given mm-hmm. like a code of conduct. Uh, we are given. Uh, we we learn how to uh, do uh, how to lead a group of seven men, like. Basic section leader stuff, basic sergeant yeah. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That took, so, I think that took a lot longer. Seven, eight months? What's that like different from, I, I don't want to say the normal world because it's yeah. a very cyclic, but what's that different than like other aspects? Because you're, you're taught this form of leadership mm-hmm. that is very effective for the military because it's what it's meant for. Yeah. Um, it's meant to be very, and I can see there being some good uses for it in other areas. I've actually said this before that boot camp is not all bad and some things are actually very useful in certain areas, but some things are really bad. Um, so, Knowing that leadership style that you were taught, what are some things that uh, would kind of happen and what are some things that are actually useful for people to kind of know how to do? So uh, one thing about command school is that everyone in command school, they, they did decently, right? They are fit, they, yeah. are, they, are, they are very passionate and driven because if you, if you don't seem driven or passionate in uh, boot camp, you're not going to get the chance to go into command school. Yeah. So I think it was a lot different. Because in bookcamp, there are some people that just wanted to pass the two years uneventfully. Or there are some people that wanted to try their best in everything, right? They wanted to yeah. be the, the, the marksman. They wanted to be the, the leader. They wanted to be the everything. So command school, you have people that you have, that you have an entire battalion full of people like that, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that was different because now you're competing against people who wants to compete, who wants to be the best, who wants to be uh, leaders. So I think you, you learn a very different thing there. And also not to mention, I think out of like a platoon of uh, 20 plus people, I was like the smallest size guy. I was the lightest, I was the smallest. So I, it was, it was yeah, it was not fun for me because I was mm-hmm. always the last guy, that sort of stuff. So I'm not going to say, oh, you know, I'm the fastest guy, I'm the yeah. strongest guy. I was actually like the last guy in almost every single route march and every single physical act, uh, test. Yeah. Okay. It, why Why do you think that was? Do you just have a hard time putting on like weight to get uh, stronger, or yeah. did you just not really want to try it that much? No, uh, I, I definitely want to try. Just yeah, the army feeds you like they they feed you a lot of food because they want you to gain weight. But yeah, I have problem getting weight. I I, I think I have like really really fast metabolism. One of the doctors uh-huh. said you know maybe you should do a test, but yeah, I think I have really really fast metabolism. So. Uh, no matter how much I eat, right? I've been trying to do like three thousand calories, four thousand calories every day. I definitely have a bit of problem, yeah, gaining weight. Yeah, I won't lie, I'm a little bit jealous of you, even though like it's like the opposite. I like I can eat very yeah. few calories and put on weight, yeah. uh, whereas you can. You're on like the other end of the extreme. Like if I eat like above seventeen, eighteen hundred calories, I start putting on weight. It's like insane. So I'm a little bit jealous of you, only because I like to eat food and it is my favorite mm-hmm. pastime in life. Uh, we, were, so. we were based in LA, so LA has great food, right? So except for pizza, yeah, their pizza is garbage, and I heard their Chinese <laughs> is garbage too. So is not great. Yeah. So I'm not. I, their pizza is definitely anyone who says LA has like there might be one or two places that can do like acceptable pizza, but I'm telling you, the pizza yep. in LA is garbage as well. So um, I, and, I do like the fast food. Like there's like In and yeah. Out, there's like Shake Shack. I think there's a huge uh, option of fast food. Can oh choose yeah. from. I, I like the burgers from there. Yeah, yeah, burgers are good. Uh, I don't like In-N-Out as much as I like Five Guys, but that's just mm-hmm. mine. But it's also it's incredibly Chick-fil-A unhealthy. Style. Chick-fil-A is that's amazing. True, true. Oh my God, the milkshakes at Chick-fil-A. Uh, that's what gets me. Oh my God, you make me crave food now, John. It's not fun. Um, <laughs> looking at, uh, you mentioned command school. Uh, as mm-hmm. you're going through command school, um, do you 
obviously everyone's kind of learning to be a leader and take over. Like, yeah. is there a point where you actually get your own group of people that you're leading all the time? Uh, in command school, you sort of take turns. So mm -hmm. you are you are leading, okay. but every single week, uh, a different person steps in to lead okay. the platoon. And those leaders, uh, you are given like, like a temporary rank, right? But mm -hmm. it's never fun, and you sort of never want to be in that role because if you're in that role, the the sergeant majors, like the the, the off, like the officers, the the, the, mm -hmm. the higher higher ranker, they really really laid on you. So they're like, if we have to wake five a.m., these guys have to wake like three a.m. That sort of shit. So, uh, it's to sort of uh, replicate the, the the you know, if you're a leader, right? You're not the guy who does the least. In fact, it's it's the opposite. You're a servant yeah. leader. You are the guy who does the most, right? You do mm -hmm. more so that your man gets to do like less, or your man gets to work more efficiently. So yeah, so every single week it rotates, and every single week someone gets. Like fucked by the guy. Oh, is is this like a no? You can swear. Thing? I don't give a fuck. You can swear all, right, all you okay. want. Yeah, you can swear. So, Have fun. Yeah. Every every week, some different guy gets like hard fucked by like the superiors. Right? Why are you uh -huh. why are you late? Why are you late? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? So, <laughs> yeah, three extras. Lots of punishment on this guy. So everyone sort of dread having their turn comes in comments. Yeah, I actually think that's a good thing to learn. I always talk to, uh, like, I've talked to different coaches about this before, like modeling. Like, you should be always, any behavior you ever want someone else to do, you need to model yeah. it, the, it better. Like, it needs to, you need to be, like, the priming yeah. example of this thing so that way people are more apt to buy in and do it. Because if you can't, yeah. like, so exercise is a good one. Like, everyone's like, oh, players should be exercising. No, everyone should be exercising. Mm -hmm. If you want players to yeah. exercise, literally everyone yeah. needs to do the it. Coaches if, have to exercise as well, yeah. Yeah, and if they, if the coaches don't exercise, right, and aren't showing out there doing it, then why would the players ever How want they to? know it's important, right? Because yeah, if, exactly. if you say it's really, really important, so important for work-life balance and, you know, it's yep. great mentally, but then, your players are asked to do that and they're like, you know, as a coach, you are also stressed out, you have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. So work-life balance and, you know, your mental state is should be as important as us, right? So yeah. why are you doing it? You know, they start to suspect, you know, implicitly, maybe you just don't believe in the concept, it's just making yeah. you do it. So yeah, that's that's a big part of uh, leadership. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something with coaching I've always found very interesting is a lot of times people like the to do the do as I say, not as I do. And just like through behavior science itself says it's a very flawed model and does not work at all. Like just looking looking at it, it's very interesting that some people take that approach. Um, whereas yeah. if you're really going to be a leader and do these things, you have to you have to put your that's one of the reasons why, like even like when I was with gliders, I would work out with players and I was like, OK, if I'm going to ask you to do any of this, then I will do the same thing. Okay, if I expect you to be uh, emotionally stable, I will show you what that is like and how to do that, and I will model that behavior because it's really important to do that. Um, and I think that's an, an important aspect of, like, we need to model and be the best people that we can be so that way players can also be the best people that they can be. So, yeah, rant well, over. I agree. Ra rant over. Occasionally I get on mini rants, John. I'm sorry. Um, looking at uh, after command school, where did that lead you then? Uh, I was given a unit, like a, a unit to be a sergeant in. Yeah. And I had a group of six people under me. Mm -hmm. And then I worked with them every day. Uh, we, we trained, we prepared uh, at some occasions, even needed to fly overseas for more training. So it's just training, 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 more training. But in this case, you, you're given your rank and, mm -hmm. and stuff. So if any, any day, right, let's say, touch wood, Singapore activates to go to war. And I think there was a couple of times where we were kind of close, right? Where, you know, our bordering, uh, our bordering neighbors, there were a couple of like, you know, sort of almost skirmishes. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like North Korea and South Korea. So 
the you are expected to always be ready. So we, are, we train every day to be to be ready during that time. And even then, after the army, uh, I don't know whether you know this, like we still have to report to the army once a year. Really? So yeah, it, it goes all the way until you're 40 years old. Yeah, wow. 40 so, or 50, depending uh, on. So being in, did, did you already do your report to the army or does that have to come so up I for you? So I did it twice, but because uh-huh. I'm working in LA, uh, I get to push it. Okay. I get to push it. So instead of stopping at 40, you have to stop at like 42, for example. Yeah, so oh, I so every, to complete my cycles. Every yeah. year that you're in LA, you just prolong yes, your correct, your. Yeah. Oh my god, that sounds something like that. Yeah. Well, John Galt's gonna be forty and he's gonna be stuck in there till he's eighty. <laughs> he's gonna be like, I'm, I'm gonna be an old man by the time I finish my military service. So the training you mentioned, training. Mm-hmm. yeah, the the military yeah, training training that you guys did was it mostly for combat? Yes. So like fire movements, uh, how you move as a as mm-hmm. a squad, uh, how where you're supposed to flank. Uh, it, it's not just a combat, right? You you learn like other guns as well. You are yeah. you are teaching. You are also teaching your men other guns. Yeah. So you're teaching them the machine gun, the light machine mm-hmm. gun, you know, assault rifles, that that sort of stuff. Like teaching yeah. them to marksman tests. Uh, learning how to operate in a company. So there's operating in a six man unit. There's operating in a thirty man unit. There's operating in a company. So there's a lot of things to practice. It, it just never ends, and you have to be fit on top of everything. So there's physical training and there's like strategic mm-hmm. training. So it just goes on until. So I take it the sergeants are all the people who come from command school, and then the people who are yeah. underneath you are all the people who come from infantry, right? Yeah. Okay. So kind of looking at this, and this is kind of a, a more deep and almost philosophical question. I know how the army kind of does it. Um, you're obviously preparing for war. Okay, that's kind of you're like you're worried about your borders and stuff like that, and you're preparing for war. How do you? How do they try to hammer into you that it's okay to kill someone? Because there is some psychological aspect that you have to break down in people to have them be okay with this fact that I'm going to be killing another human being. So I, the, I mean, the way we, army, we, we the way the to, army does it to, is they yeah. dehumanize people. So yeah. So uh, even though I say we are preparing for war. Uh, I think right now, politically, geographically, and uh, yeah. you know, diplomatically, I think we are in a good place. Singapore is like yeah. a friendly neighbor of the world, so I don't. War is not, you know, we prepare for war, but touch wood, we hope war never comes. And I, yeah, you know, at least in the next two three years, it doesn't look like it'll come. So um, I would say that that is the general state of like the people training. Uh, we are given classes like rule of engagement, where and we are. Sim- we s- try to simulate combat and then yeah. there are also like certain times where oh shit there you second, go and the monitor just went out okay uh, certain occasions where we have to uh, we do like a combat simulator where we, we have like a couple hundred people versus a couple hundred people just fighting each other and then we have uh, like uh, gears that allow us to simulate who gets hit and who, get, who yeah. doesn't right? but it's never the same as actual warfare and I hope yeah. it never comes to the part where we get tested but uh yeah, so I think, like I said, I think we train for that by, we train for that by, uh, by the dehumanizing aspect. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything more, but neither that is there anything less. So yeah, are we I mean, it's prepared for war. I, I guess we can't really find out until the war starts and we find out whether all these training is actually like helpful for us. But I yeah. mean, hopefully, I we d- never get that day where we find out. Yeah. I know that uh, for the United States, it's at least very because like my dad did military and actually mm-hmm. actually most of my fa- my dad, my mom, my grandfather, a lot of my family's mm-hmm. military. And this is one of the things that they talk about is they would like it's very common to use like different slurs or racial things for other groups that you might be going up against. Um, uh-huh. And it's the reason that they do that. And this is terrifying, but also 
on like a level of intelligence is if you remove yeah. the name from someone and you put something something uh, like degrading on them, yeah. you, the value that you have for that person's like if you know you're gonna kill someone whose name is like Joseph, right? That has meaning to yeah. you, right? And Joseph has two kids that you're removing him from. But if you can re- remove those so kind of barriers, yeah, yeah if you remove those in, barriers, yeah, I'll say that in the military, uh, people change a little bit, like how they conduct themselves in the military, because mm-hmm. uh, you know before that I was in school, everyone just speaks like a student. Once you go in the mm-hmm. military, people started to use like dialects, like started to use curse words and shit. So people were very aggressive in the way they speak as well. Yeah. And then there were of course fights in the army. It's more like masculine, more like testosterone driven. Mm-hmm. So uh, the way I speak now, like as a sergeant, I speak differently. I don't speak the way I'm currently speaking now. So and you expect yeah. to speak differently. I can't speak like that to my men and uh, and command the same amount of respect. For example, I had to be more aggressive. I had to be more uh uh decisive and you know this yeah. is this is what i want and this is how we're going to do it if you don't mm-hmm. i will punish you as in my role as a sergeant that sort of stuff so yeah. Yeah. You, have, you have to play a role and that role has certain responsibilities yeah. to it. One of the things I yeah. want to talk about is kind of roles because obviously being a head coach, okay, is mm. very different, I would say, from being a sergeant. And I do not think you can look at those in the same way. And I yeah. feel like people who do, you are, pro- you are probably going to I'm, do... I'm not going to go into like my yeah. place and go like, hey, guys, stand at attention. Yeah, it's, not, it's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what is those... Like, obviously, we've talked a lot about the military. I want to kind of make a comparison. What's it like to kind of coach players? Like, how do you have to change that persona? Because you have the the drill sergeant, John Galt, okay? But then we have the head coach, John Galt. What does that look... Di- how does that look different? So, uh, even though it's not an entire parallel, it's not exactly the same. I think mm-hmm. there are a lot of things you can take away from being yeah. in the army, right? How to talk to people, how to get people to respect you, mm-hmm. uh... I think there was like a recently a tweeter that uh, let me see where I can find it. There was like a tweeter post. I think Jane, Jane like the coach from from Dallas yeah. He liked it. So for example, right? Uh, I'm just gonna read it out. Uh, is the true measure of how good you are as a small unit leader? So this is a military manual. A, a true measure of how good you are as a small unit leader lies not in you or in your superior, <laughs> but in the unit, uh, in the soldiers of your unit, in your followers. So. Yeah, so at the description of condition, blah, 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 blah. When all your soldiers score high in each of the following tests, then your leadership is up to standard. So good leadership is not based off a single person. If you are able to give good speeches, if you are able to move in a certain way, talk in a certain mm-hmm. way, it doesn't mean jack for leadership, right? You can yeah. only see good leadership. You can only tell whether that's a good leader based on the people under you. So mm-hmm. if the people under you are confident in their own ability, if the people yeah. under you are confident in the ability of their other soldiers, their other teammates, or their other players in Overwatch. If mm-hmm. are, the people under you are confident in their own skills in Overwatch, and the people under you are confident in your leadership. When the people under you have all these conditions, then that proves you are like a good leader. So even mm-hmm. though, not the same, right? Being a sergeant and head coach is not the yeah. same. Uh, you definitely learn stuff that you can take away in the head coach position, right? How yeah. to talk to people, uh, how to talk to people one-on-one, uh, even hopefully, you know, I'm not really talking about my role as a head coach but right now, but I'm thinking back to gladiators. Even if, say, a head coach needs to uh, chatize someone or, or, or criticize someone, even how you criticize people, mm-hmm. uh, it needs to be done in a very specific way. It needs to be done in, in a manner that uh, your, your players uh, learn from it and your players are not going to think that you're just being unfair, right? Yeah. yeah. 
And you don't want it to be damaging either, right? Like you don't want it to. Yeah. In a, that, I think that's the, the the hardest part. Is like if you're going to do, like I think I always say I don't like to use chastise. This is my weird psychology person. I always like to say that it's good to set up consequences for actions, mm -hmm. um, and especially yeah. if those consequences can be known beforehand. Like the more that you can do that, like these are the consequences for certain actions. You almost mentioned your parents. I think that's an extreme example of throwing the book, but you knew the consequences, and so you know yeah. the actions that you have to take. I think that's probably the best way because then it's it's a choice on the person whether or not they want to change their behaviors around yeah so they, they know it's fair right you don't yeah. want to play it or anyone for the matter at the end of the day if you think that fair because they set out everything for you right yeah. tell you that if you do this this is going to happen i expect you to do this you should mm -hmm. do this and you agree like even beforehand what do you think you think that that's that's fair and then they go yes right so yeah everyone has to be on the same page right yeah yeah, I think that's super important. Like getting everyone to understand what the rules are, what are the consequences beforehand is huge um, for like a, a team and working with the team. And I'm, I'm really, I actually, I'm very excited to see what Washington does with your, you, you in leadership because I, I greatly like some of those philosophies there. I think they're going to be very beneficial. Um, so kind of looking at uh command school you were in there you were uh you had your unit after command school um you were doing all of this training did you basically just do that for like a year and a half uh yes okay military is two years so we yeah trained for a year and a half but yeah mm -hmm. so at what point uh did video games come into your life like what time what point in your life did they actually become important like highly so, valued i've always played video games but yeah um we are restricted from using the computer. So I would say that my brother and I, we are not great gamers. Because I think if there's one thing that sets apart, uh, that sets like that shows professional gamers are professional gamers, is that they spend a lot of time on video games. So if I, I, I was stress, just... Right, if, if you yeah. actually, if you look at like some of my past full interviews, I, this is a similar question I ask people because there's normally a point in their life where the amount of hours they actually put into the game drastically increases. Um, and it's normally yeah. between the ages of like, I don't know, like 14 and 17 tends to be like the big age group that I see with most players where they're like, okay, I went from playing this like three or four hours to now I'm playing it as much of my time as I can possibly get into it. Yeah, so it's like if I, like a lot of the gladiators player, they are good at multiple games. They're good at yep. uh, League of Legends. They're challenger in League of Legends. They are you know top five hundred in Overwatch. Some of them are also like really high rank in Dota and many other games, mm -hmm. right? But that comes, I would say, at a cost. But that they spend a lot of times, uh, they spend a lot of time uh, sharpening their skills in that game. So for, yep. for like chess or whoever, right? They have like thousands and thousands of hours in Call of Duty. That doesn't include League of Legends. They have thousands of hours in League of Legends as well. Blah blah blah. So I don't have that same amount of hours. So I am not as good at video games, but I'd like mm -hmm. to say I learned things relatively quickly. So um, when I started Overwatch, I'll say I started gaming when I was in college. Okay. Yeah. So I was like a very late starter because college started was, at like 20. Was college after military then? Yes. Okay. How do you go from military to getting into college? Because that's kind of important. So before we get uh, you get, you, you apply for university before you even enter okay. college. Yeah, you apply for uh, college before you even enter military. And then once you enter military, the, the school puts you on hold for two years and then they start your, uh, okay. your, your study. Like, it, it's all like grouped up in one program in Singapore, right? Because everyone okay. knows that you have military. military yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So what did you want to... Okay. Do you pick like specific degrees when you're 18? Like yes. when you're applying for school? It's, it's exactly the same as any other country. Okay. How do you, like, after, especially after two years of life experience, what, what do you do if you don't like that choice that you made back when you were 18 and not as uh, intelligent? Then you're fucked. Okay, that's what I was <laughs> that wondering. Happens a lot. That happens a lot. That happens so much uh, among my friends, right? 
they, they, they start studying and they realize, wait a minute, wait a goddamn minute. Like, I think I'm, I, I hate this degree. I hate my life, that sort of shit, right? But they're out, they're, they're, they're earning like 4K a month, they're earning 5K a month. They're like, doesn't make any logical sense for me to about reverse turn and take up another degree. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think most of them are uh, contented financially, but I don't think they are very, very happy. But then again, I, I don't think this is like a Singapore thing. I think this is like a global thing. So oh yeah. I, think I, I just wasn't sure if you could change or if people routinely change. Cause I know it's pretty common. No, like you, I, you I changed really majors. Change. I changed majors three times. So I went from like psychology to like music, uh, yeah. uh, sound design to music education, back to psychology, uh, four times. Okay. And I was like, by the time I went back, I was like, okay, I'm fairly confident, but that took me like three years. I was not educated enough in knowing what I wanted to do for my life for like three years and i could just see like 18 you sign up for something you go do military get out and like oh i have more life experience i know what i like in the world and now you're stuck in an engineering degree for four years and you're like kill me please yeah you're kind of stuck in it though in singapore there's a lot of expectations it's a lot of like it's not easy to switch degree it's very 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 hard you have to have a good reason this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. so yeah okay so So regretting that so you were you signed up to be an engineer okay and i believe you were Mm -hmm. is it an electrical engineer I yes. think that's okay. So when you get out of college or when you get out of military and you're going to college, did you still want to be an electrical engineer? No, <laughs> I did not like, I think me and Shafar shared this. Wait, I'm not, I think Shafar was actually okay with his degree, but because we both did electric engineer, but mm-hmm. I actually, I, I hated the degree. I don't think the degree was for me. Yeah. I like <laughs> engineering as a concept, but yeah. I'm not, I think this is a new thing uh, maybe for people who are not so uh, accustomed to engineering. Uh, engineering, there are many, many different sectors, right? <laughs> there's like electrical engineering, there's materials, engineering, there's chemical engineering. Yeah. So I like engineering as the concept of like building stuff and everything, mm-hmm. but I don't like the pedantic aspect of, you know, I like, I want to build stuff. I don't want to look at the nitty gritty part of everything. Uh, and I think electrical engineering is like the most nitty gritty of all the engineering. So uh there's some stuff in electric engineering i like there were a lot of things i yeah. didn't like so yeah that i so i actually went to an engine weirdly i have a psychology degree from an engineering school um which is odd but i knew a lot of engineers and my girlfriend's an engineer yep. too and so that's why i was i knew a lot of engineers who started as engineers and they didn't want to be an engineer by the time they were done yep. so it's a very common uh, uh thing going in so you mentioned you start this engineer degree what yep. was it like to do a degree that you didn't particularly like and how long did it take you before you were like i don't want to do this Okay, so one of the way I uh, sort of, uh, I won't say, I uh, sort of escaped from, you know, my, yeah. all the st- high stress in doing something I didn't like was uh, I invested myself into Overwatch, right? Because okay. Overwatch just came out in 2016. Uh, I started playing a little bit with my friends mm-hmm. and I realized that, you know, I wasn't that great a player. I I, I wasn't that low rank. I think some people think I'm, I'm platinum, but I'm master. Three, three point, I picked at 3.8K. So uh, recent, the latest season, I'm at 3,800. So I'm still like, I'm yeah. not trying to brag because I know there are a lot of people better than me. I'm about maybe top three yeah. percent of the server, so I'm decent at the game, but I'm definitely not going to be anywhere close to like Shaz, LA Gladiators player, yeah. right? So, um, yeah. So Overwatch started playing a little bit of Overwatch as a player, and I realized that I could spot mistakes, and I, I wanted to teach my friends not to make those mistakes. But you know, uh, I wasn't as great a player, so I felt, wait, you know what? Maybe I'm better as like someone that teaches people, people that points out other people's mistake, be the guy that. You know, pull the team together, sort of like mm-hmm. the leader, right? The captain uh, or the coach. So at first, I went from a, like a player to a captain of a team. And I realized mm-hmm. that, wait a minute, I think it makes more sense for me to be a coach because the things I want to do on the teach, right? So I yeah. transitioned into coaching and then, uh, yeah, there I was in coaching. 
Okay. That makes sense. You start coaching and you kind of, I was going to ask you uh, if yep. Overwatch was kind of the way you escaped that electrical engineering, because that's what it seems it, like. Cause I, yeah. I would yeah. Say. So we were kind of talking about uh, your start of the Overwatch career, how you're, you're in this electrical engineering degree that you don't particularly like. Um, and then Overwatch kind of comes out and you start coaching it. At what point did you think, I can escape my electrical engineering degree to coach Overwatch? Uh, when I was offered, I really glad you did. That was like the first serious conversation like I had with my parents, right? Like, okay, you know what? Yeah, maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Uh, maybe I could pursue... Uh, uh, maybe I, I could pursue esports instead. Yeah. So that that's pretty far in, right? Like, and you had coached mm-hmm. contenders teams. So I'm assuming you were you were going to school yeah. and uh, coaching contenders teams. Then at the same time, and it wasn't even a feasible option. Did those contenders teams pay per chance, or were they all? Nope. Okay. Yeah. Okay. One of them, sort of like a very very small pittance, like so small that I don't I don't think I could say I was getting paid. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, it was like an internship almost. That's how internships yeah, are in the United it. States. Sometimes you don't get paid for them. Actually, it's very common for uh, you don't yeah. get paid for them. So, uh, so it wasn't even an option until you made it to. Oh, did you have any other contenders teams like in either NA contenders or EU contenders offer you like full time paying gigs? No, because uh, the time zone didn't work out when I was studying, right? Because so mm-hmm. I restricted myself to mainly uh, Australian contenders and Pacific contenders because the time zone was way more feasible. Okay, which one do you think uh, was better for you, coaching? Like, which one do you think you learned more about? What do you mean, which team? Yeah, like uh, either Australia or like because obviously Australia, both of them have very small um, like populations, right? Like yeah. as far as like players, um, mm-hmm. does Australian have uh, more players that are of higher uh, skill cap? Did you learn more uh, playing uh, for Australia, or did you learn more uh, playing for? So my first contenders team was from Pacific contenders. I yeah. I was I was very very new in my role. I was making mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes, both strategically and in 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 the leadership aspect. Mm-hmm. So uh, I. Uh, respected not in terms of my competency but just in terms of how hard I work okay. so uh, I think I, I learned a lot I learned a lot because I made a lot of mistakes so I learned a lot in Pacific Contenders okay, and then so you... I moved on oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. yeah go ahead. go ahead go ahead yeah then after that I went to Australia Contenders uh, we got second place I managed to apply what I the mistakes I learned from uh, from Pacific Contenders and yeah. I implemented it into the Australia Contenders I wanted to be more of a leader not just someone yeah. Uh, suggesting strategies so I wanted to be someone that hey look this is a strategy we're going to run we have to run it so I learned how to be a little bit more decisive maybe uh, how to talk to the players how to mm-hmm. at the end of the season you know I, I hope they look to me as like you know uh, this guy this guy is a, is a leader who led us through this season rather than this guy was just with us offering us some tips on how to play out the season which was more mm-hmm. of what happened in Pacific Contenders okay so at what point do you think okay content creation might be a way for me to get now because you had to have that thought when you were making content right like because no one's yeah. Scott, i actually had gumba on the show um mm-hmm. who his episode released uh already and one of the things we talked about was that uh, australia doesn't get scouted at all and he he believes mm-hmm. that there are actually some really good talent in australia mm-hmm. uh, and they do perform really well but they don't ever get scouted i'm assuming this is kind of true for coaches to a degree that why would you use scout out there did you start making content in order to kind of get yourself out there so people knew who you were yeah so uh i felt that i, I mean i was always making content but i think i <laughs> ramped up the pace uh, especially after i found that wait a minute 
James has gone in. Just Jane is working for the Dallas Fuel. This is really important, right? This is really yeah. really important. So uh, yeah, I definitely try to put myself out there a little bit more, and I, I don't think that actually got me my first job in the Gladiators, but yeah. it was helpful to. Uh, it was helpful. The experience was helpful in the content creation aspect. Mm-hmm. Do you think that everyone should kind of look towards making content? As I don't think it gets you a job. I will say that I don't think making content gets you, a job, but I do think it helps people at least know who your name is. Yeah. And it I think that's important. So, that's that's super yeah. important. Yeah, so. I think yeah, I I I definitely heavy, uh, highly recommend uh, content creation to uh, coaches and players mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, any anyone for that matter. So I think that yeah. that that is something Overwatch solidly needs. I think it's good for them. It's the only thing is it's not good is for probably for your sleep because it takes a lot of time, right? If you have to be a good coach or a good player, plus the content creation aspect, that's going to take a lot of time out of you. Yeah, I. I can speak from doing content now that it does take a lot of time. Um, a lot of time. It, it does. Well. It does. I, I find it very rewarding, though, So which kind of helps. I, I find it a lot yeah. of fun. I, I'd almost rather make content than play games now. That's the point yeah. where I'm like, if my choice is to play games or like record one of these. I would, first yeah. of all, I, I love recording these because I get to like pick someone's brain for like an extended mm-hmm. period of time. So it lets me socialize yeah. the best thing so. the best thing is when you upload whatever content or you, you stream and then people interact with that content and you're like oh yeah you know, it pays off yeah right? it's not just like an isolated thing outside that only mm-hmm. me know of it people are interacting with it people are finding value in it that that's yeah. when it really 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 awesome it's really really awesome yeah i i would agree 100 percent. so you start uh, coaching contenders teams um what mm-hmm. was the the process getting into out did you know that owl was going to happen for you were you one of those people who was like i'm going to make this no. happen no matter what not really, yeah. I I was like, you know, if, if it happens, I'm gonna give it a shot because you know, I I don't I don't want to be in, I don't want to graduate from engineering and and be stuck in like a nine to to to, to six nine to seven job and I'm I'm at my table and I'm thinking, shit, you know, I I was actually coaching contenders. Maybe I could have just continued the path and maybe you have led me to to Overwatch League or maybe you have led me to something I would have been happier. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I decided to you know send in my resume to Gladiators and. Uh, the, the funny thing is, it was my resume wasn't even accepted by Gladiator. So there was like a, a single filter, right? That the, the manager had like a filter, and then yeah. there was like deep, like deep pay, right? Deep pay had to see it and had to say whether it was good or bad, and then pull you in for interview. Mm-hmm. And then apparently, apparently, all the resumes mine was like cut at the start, and then mine went to like freaking like spam or some shit. And then David went through uh, the ones that were recommended to him, like NA contenders and EU contenders, right? Because I'm like a no-name from like smaller region then. Yeah. So, uh, and then David, I think David said, okay, all these guys are not great. <laughs> At least he told the team engineer, these guys, I'm not impressed by these guys. We need more guys. We need to wi- widen the net. And then that's when all the other entries, right, all from all over the place came in. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, of course, Gladiators had like an open, uh, open coaching application. I submitted it. I didn't get a response. And then, you know, I was kind of lucky in that, you know, yeah, my thing, mm-hmm. they wanted to, he widened the net and then my sleep through. Yeah. So I, I feel like that almost jumps to like the discussion about scouting then. Yeah. Like, do teams scout effectively? Because like very realistically, if yeah. they would have done their original scouting, John Galt would not exist in Overwatch League this, well, maybe you wouldn't now this year, but last year you wouldn't have. If they wouldn't have opened up that search it's... and started taking other, other, other like applications. Yeah, it's, it's hard because you need to spend a lot of time with a coach in interviews, mm-hmm. not just in analysis, but also yeah. in like speaking to him face to face and all whatnot. Yeah. And because it takes so long, probably multiple interviews, probably multiple interviews by multiple people, by your GM, by your head coach, yeah. by you know other people, because you want different perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that to 
even after like all these tests, all these filter, and then the coach comes out and you go like, oh, this guy fits what I need him to do for our Overwatch team, our Overwatch League team. Uh, it, that takes so much time to yep. ascertain that this guy is the right fit, right? So one guy maybe takes like dozens of hours just to say that this guy's a yes or this guy's a no. And then you multiply that by so many other coaches and you realize that it's, it's, very, it's not very efficient, but it's something that you have to do to construct a good coaching roster. Mm-hmm. So it's people don't... But- yeah, some people don't know this, but there actually isn't like dedicated scouts. Um, in yeah. uh, there might be a couple for a couple teams. I don't know about them. So if there are some, mm-hmm. I don't know about. It. And from what I've heard, for most things, there are not dedicated sc- scouts. What yeah. happens most of the time is the coaching staff, after they finish their grueling season, then has to take the time to try to scout out talent. And I mean, let's be real. After the first season, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're you're ready for a break. And now on top of it, you have to be like, okay, we're not done yet. We now have another Mm -hmm. month, two months, three months of scouting that we now have to try to find out Mm -hmm. uh, who these people are. Um, Do you think that that's going to improve and that will help with this? Because right now it seems like that's probably the biggest problem is there actually isn't anyone who is dedicated and knows what to look for in order to scout talent, either coaching or players for that matter. Uh... Hmm. I think I think some teams do have scouts. I'm pretty sure So Dynasty do, do have like scouters, <laughs> and I think they have done pretty well. The contenders team are like I. They yeah. also have like a bunch of tier three teams. I'm pretty sure like Soul Dynasty specifically has like three or four tier three teams that I think they also yeah, like, use for scouting. Genji, okay. yeah, yeah. So I think they are doing a pretty decent job at it. I think they are definitely like ahead of other people in the field. Uh, but as to because. When you do things like that, you need a lot more resources as well. You need yep. to spend money, right? You need to spend time. You need more like uh, logistics involved in that regard. So, uh, yeah. So I think some teams know that they bring value. They just they're just not sure whether it's efficient, cost efficient. Mm-hmm. So if you know if so, Dynasty does really really well with the new players they get this year because I know they are getting rid of a lot of the players or they are, they are, they're putting a lot of players on the free agent market. So if so, Dynasty doesn't does really really well with the new talents that they, they acquire, I think that may push other teams towards a more proactive scouting uh, mm-hmm. direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is an interesting question, and it's almost more of a philosophical question. There's obviously the fact that this is an entertainment industry, but then there's also the competitive mm-hmm. nature of this, okay? Yeah. Some people would argue that <clears throat> you, you're maybe arguably better, uh, like for an ROI, to take uh, less, not necessarily the best skilled players, just keep your uh, cost low and have them do moderately well, as well as do good marketing, versus being mm-hmm. like a team like Vancouver Titans, which buys out all of... Uh, Runaway, which right. probably cost a pretty penny, right? Or San Francisco yeah. Shock, which also cost a pretty penny. Um, yeah. Like, is the R, like, as a head coach, are you only worried about the competition or does it come in there where you're like, hey, listen, we do have a budget we have to worry about. Um, we want you to do the best you can with this budget. Um, but arguably, if someone has more capital than the other person, they can just buy out uh, other teams. Like, yeah. in my head, that makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, I don't think anyone can say because uh, I think there's too many variables. I mm-hmm. I think that's well like you 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 put it out well where you know there are teams that are going that are going the marketing aspect. There are teams that just wants to win and they buy the entire runaway. There are teams that wants a mixture of both. But yep. no one knows where is the most efficient line because to do that they need to know first what they want. And I think a lot of uh, teams, even in ownership aspect, I think the ownership sometimes they they're not too 
sure. They're not too sure what yeah. they want. They're not sure whether they want to turn a profit in the next one year. Uh, I think Boston, maybe Boston is trying to do that, which means that they, that's why they're, they're moving the direction if, they are. If there, was, if some, there was any team, I would say Boston. Yeah, it would be Boston, right? But there are some teams that they're like, oh, you know what, I want to win, but I also <laughs> want to have like great marketing. But somehow, somehow there, there needs to be a line drawn. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of owners, they, they, uh, ownership group, they're not sure where the line is. So every year, uh, they might go in a different direction and they might change from a year-to-year basis. So like, you know, the, the rumors that Valiant is going to go full budget might mean that they're going to change in a different direction because they think that it's more appealing to the ownership group. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to say which is best. I think you, you, it probably needs a couple of years and a few. Yeah. They see their ROI, they see whether it's worth it, et cetera, et cetera. Do you worry that uh, teams are too short-term thinking ever? That they're only worried about like the immediate year versus uh, like a long-term goal? Because like, let's say that you wanted to build out a huge marketing thing. If you're ch- if you're changing what you're planning on doing every year, like it's okay to make little changes, but if you're making like massive yeah. changes, like let's say Valiant goes full budget, like is uh, been rumored. Okay, that's a drastically different approach to what they were doing before, and it's hard to tell whether or not something is like is this actually a successful model because you don't give it enough time to arguably fill out and, and kind of show yeah. promise there i mean the pro- the problem is that uh esports is a very volatile industry yeah. right i'm confident that uh and i'm not trying to be a doomsayer but i'm confident that you know that uh esports is going to do well because every year there's exponential yeah. growth in esports yeah. but which game is going to do well right it might not be overwatch as yeah i don't want to be the the, the, the the pessimistic guy but it might not be overwatch it could be league of legends and csgo league of legends is on its 10 year right so uh, because of this risk nature in that everyone wants to invest money in the esports that's going to last mm-hmm. for 10, 20 years that comes out with you know, multiple iteration and multiple have like yeah. very, very successful competitive scene, that makes it so that everyone's thinking on a year-to-year basis. You, you don't want to think five years down the road because uh, one of the older, oldest esports in, in, in the esports industry is League of Legends and they're only on year 10. Right, they're only yeah. on, not even year I think 10, like year I th- I, No, I thought there were more than that. They just hit their tenure. This is their tenure. Because they had the and huge, the game, right? But yeah, esports yeah. wise, yeah, yeah, I think it was younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but like CS, CS has been around a long time. This is really old. Yeah. yeah. So I think CS they could do that, and which is why you see a lot of players in CS that have been in the industry for a very long time. I'm pretty sure some of their contract probably is longer than just like a year. But they mm-hmm. could do that because the game has been here for a long time, right? So yeah. that's a little bit of like a. Like it, it has been shown that it has been relevant for a very long time. But Overwatch is a new game. It's like a new kid on the block. Uh, and uh, it's it's there's a lot of risk. There's a homestand. There's a new thing. Yeah. So I can see why the ownership group is thinking more of like a year to year basis. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so going back into like we talk about like CS and having very long standing players. Okay. Um, do you think that that will happen with Overwatch? Because the thing that worries me about Overwatch and like older mm-hmm. players is that the game changes so much. And while like mm-hmm. reactions, there's actually studies on reaction speed doesn't actually go down after like a certain age. It's like 0. 0.05 milliseconds a year. But like your 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 values and your motivations do change as you get older, yeah. uh, which might be a, honestly a bigger factor than like reaction speed. Everyone likes to go to reaction speed, but I actually think like motive like as you get older, you're thinking, oh, maybe I want to do something else besides playing 15 hours a day. <laughs> video games so um do you think that overwatch do you think that age matters in overwatch i guess uh i think overwatch is probably one of the games that it matters of all yeah okay a, a lot of a lot of overwatch is about uh there's a lot of communication overwatch and the communication mm-hmm. tends to be quite complicated where you have to like yeah. deal with game plans address game plans and then unlike in, in different maps right you might even play different characters different yeah. strategies so there is a lot of communication it's not like csgo where you hold an angle there's still communicate there's still comms in csgo yeah. but a lot of it is uh 
it's maybe it's a little bit more intuitive, especially since CSGO has been around for a long time <laughs> as well. So everyone has played each map like thousands of times. So the comms the comms structure in CS is definitely a lot different from like the comms structure yeah. in, in, in Overwatch. So I think Overwatch is more of like a it's it's a game less about reaction and more about uh there is like the chess side of it where mm-hmm. there's a lot of setup, there's a lot of communication, there's a lot of like micro teamwork. So I would say yeah, reaction is actually not that important in Overwatch. Yeah. Okay. Do you worry about meta changes a lot? Like I mean, obviously you can't know, but mm-hmm. as a good example, I don't think I think uh like MKL when I had him on who previously was with Washington yeah. when Wizard Jung was there. Uh, they mentioned that, or he mentioned that basically they weren't expecting goats to last as long. Uh, how yeah. do you build for this idea that quite literally the meta could shift one day and you're playing a different game? Yeah, so even in Gladiators, uh, when I joined Gladiators, you know, we had like long, the coaches had long discussion and we were very, very confident that uh, the, the, the meta was shifting towards a flexible meta, like a very versatile meta. So we had, we still had hydration. We still had, we had sure, we had sure for we had hydration for the yeah. year, that year. We have DK as well, and DK was seen as not just one of the best DPS, but was also one of the most flexible DPS. Right, mm-hmm. there were other DPS like D Ding, who was a really really good Farah and a Doom Doomface, etc. But we, you know, DK was the guy we wanted to pick up because he, he could play everything. He could play Tracer, he could play yeah. Farah, he could play do it. So, uh, that was our theory that you know being flexible is really really important. So I think maybe Justice may, maybe a couple, I'm not sure because I don't have knowledge of what happened this yeah. year. I only came in at the end of it. But I would say maybe, you know, even if they say they weren't expecting GOATs to last that long, I think maybe they prepared wrongly. Like they didn't yeah. look at, like, you know, they didn't look at their, all the options they have on the board. Otherwise, they, they should uh, know that, you know, Blizzard patches for the last few years have been uh, very volatile. Right? Yes. Uh, a meta could last for a long time. And it has generally lasted, like Mercy has lasted for a really long time. Multiple metas have lasted for a really long time. And when it changes, sometimes it does it really abruptly and it changes to a totally different thing. So you really need someone, you really need players that are willing to learn that really love the game and are willing to play rank and just grind out different characters, right? Mm-hmm. And also inherently flexible players that are that enjoy learning. And that was something that we prioritize in Gladiators or we try to prioritize in Gladiators. That's something I'm still trying to prioritize in Washington Justice. Yeah. Okay, what do you guys want people people who look at Washington Justice? What do you want mm-hmm. them to say about the team? If there's like one ideal or value that people can pull from the Justice team, what is that ideal or value? Uh, I want well, I have a lot, so it's, it's okay. Hard to okay, say you can one. give me you can give me yeah. more. Give me more. Let's let's go through because okay. obviously, so, pre, like it's good to differentiate, especially a new mm-hmm. identity, new value. Because this is a new team. Yep. This is not the same team that was last year. You guys have went through. You've changed your upper management completely. You've changed your head coach. Um, you've removed some of the assistant coaches before. I'm assuming you're looking for assistant coaches now. You're changing players up. You've already picked up Roar, um, and so like this is a completely new team. So what's this new identity that's going to be out there? So I. First of all, I want the team to be a family. And I think that me and Lin, we share a very, very similar uh, vision for the team. We want to be close. Yeah. Uh, regardless of whether we go the mixed team direction or like a fully Western team direction, uh, I just I want everyone to speak to each other. And there are, yeah. I have plans in how I want that to happen. Because Gladiators, I think in many regards, uh, we, were, we, we were close, but we weren't as close as I think the coaches yeah. liked, right? That was always like, you know, co- that's one of the disadvantages of a mixed roster. It's hard to communicate our intents, yep. right? There's always misunderstanding, et cetera, et cetera. So it's something that I don't want to see in justice. I really want justice to uh, to be a family. And secondly, I want justice to be a really, really aggressively smart team. I, I, I'm, I'm a coach that believes in like 
aggressive gamers, right? Uh, the the code that we want to I want to hit into a match against the number one team, and I don't want the players to, to be afraid. Right, that, mm-hmm. that's the kind of rationale I want. And I, once again, I have plans for that. Uh, interestingly, there was something I had. Uh, there was a problem I had with the Singapore team. At first, you know, they were really scared, and then I, yeah, yeah, did some. St- uh, I helped them along the way, and then I now I think team uh, at least in the region. So mm-hmm. that, that's something I envisage. I envision for the, the the justice team. I want them to feel like a family. I want them to yeah. be really aggressive, and I want them. Lastly, and I think most importantly, I want them to have fun. I think okay. that is really important because I think there's a lot of people too. that sort of burn out, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, watch that. I see Twitter posts every day. And that's we, we, if you want to talk about, I, I wouldn't mind talking about a little bit of burnout here. Uh, at least my theories on it and kind of gauging, like, what are your theories on burnout? I've always viewed, I've always took burnout as burnout is a, a compilation of like your stressors in life that you mm-hmm. have versus like things that de-stress you right that's the best way to kind of look at burn and when your stressors get above the things that are like as you mentioned fun fun is something that kind of makes the everything kind of better um you you end up hitting burnout and after a certain period of time you can't really come back for it what is your outlook on burnout especially with the traveling coming up next season a lot of people are i'm worried about traveling to be honest and how it's going to affect people because uh, i remember how grueling it was in season one and i imagine it was pretty grueling last year with your practice stuff how are you going to manage all that are you going to look at maybe doing less scrims um and trying to make those scrims just more effective what's your outlook on i guess you can't probably go into details of that because that would give other people an advantage which makes sense but what is your outlook on like managing burnout so uh gladiators we had players or at least i have experience with players that uh they don't they look at screams they look at practice sessions they look at uh, matches like a job Right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's not I I don't think that's like a healthy outlook. I, I understand mm-hmm. why they do that because they've been playing the game for some time. They might not agree with everything that Blizzard have done like with the mm-hmm. game, so they they don't enjoy the game as much as they do. Yes. But you know, even in Justice, I'm I'm ho- I'm looking for players that enjoy rank. So even okay. without talking about stress, right? I'm I'm looking for yeah. people who just just love the game, right? Regardless yeah. of what happened, they like they like firing up a rank game right after practice. They like firing up a rank game at night. They actually you know they actually really really do have fun with the game. Mm-hmm. So I agree with the stress part. And, you know, Gladiator, uh, Justice is the ninth team I've worked for. The ninth team. And I realized that a lot of players that, that burns out, uh, I agree, uh, they generally have stresses. Uh, it could be family. It could be yeah. expectations. It could be um, uh, bad teammates to work with. Like teammates that they, 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 yeah. they don't have fun because, you know, a bad team just keeps on criticizing them, that sort of stuff. It could even be like incompetent coaching stuff. It could be coaching staff yeah. that are too strict or... Yeah, just bad at what they do, right? So all these, uh, yeah, all these really, really leads to burnout from a player. So yeah. that's why I want to be a family, right? So yeah. I don't want to have any bad teammates, right? I, I really, really don't want, it. and I'll, I'll be strict on that regard. I, I don't really, I don't want any member of Justice to, to be that teammate that no one wants to work with, right? Mm-hmm. And I want, of course, like I said, I want them to have fun. I want them to come to work uh, every morning. They finish playing Overwatch. They go back, and. I, I don't want to sound like a slave driver, but no, I'll be fine. happy if they they play Overwatch with distress as well. Like, yeah, that's something you, I'll be happy. You you yeah. you look you're looking for people who are intentionally motivated to play the game where the game yes. isn't a stressor. Yes. It's actually something that is a de-stressor, almost like something that they exactly. look forward to. Yeah. It makes 100 percent sense. Think, that that I is think, really I think good. That's something that yeah, I think that's something that shocked us a lot. Like if you look mm-hmm. at shock players, uh, they all play a lot of rank. If you look at the rank leaderboard right last season in, in, in mm-hmm. doing Overwatch, like all of their players are like top fifty. They they all have like one hundred and fifty games. And doing interviews, they 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 tell the interviewers that you know I love the game. I love the game. and that's mm-hmm. the kind of players that I think we want, and I think it's important. 
So you value mentality at a, a fairly high, high regard then. That that almost on par, I'm assuming, or at least maybe even a little bit, uh, maybe just a little bit lower than mechanical skill. You think mentality is probably up there with, with value for you then, right? Yeah, it's really, really important. To have strong mental means that you are a better teammate. To have strong mental means you're a better player individually. To have strong mental means you are able to go through stresses because you're going to be stressed. Like it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a very intense environment, right? Yeah. But you'll be able to go through this with more discipline. You come out of it... Uh, yeah, less harmed by all these yeah yeah events. I I like that a lot. Um, oh, that's really good. Uh, I was gonna ask you something. I totally forgot because I got so excited with your answer. So uh, that is a little bit. Uh, <laughs> hang on, give me, give me give me a second here as as I uh, uh, take a break and kind of recombobulate for the great answer that you gave me, John. That makes me so happy inside. Um, do you think that other teams are gonna be? Do you think we're gonna see? Obviously, you have your approach which I think is very good. Um, do you think that you're going to notice more burnout coming this next year with the travel? Yes, definitely. I think uh, a lot of players are already tired from the last season and a lot mm-hmm. of players that were tired last season were already tired from the previous season. Right? And yeah. every season is from a season straight into a World Cup. And there's generally very little rest. And not only is there very little rest, I think players are generally not good with how to rest. That sounds weird, yes. like... No, it, being, it, I, like knowing exactly how to relax, right? Yeah, but they don't. Like I have, there was a play in Gladiators, uh, chess, right? He, he he said if there's no screams, he feels weird. But when he screams, yeah. you know, he, he does get tired, and, and that's a great that's a great attitude to have in a, in, in a player. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm definitely worried that players like that they they work every day. They're so used to working, they don't know how to relax at all. So they yep. just go straight into the next day. You know, it just uh, it just accumulate, 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 and then at the end of the day, they're like, shit, I'm so burnt out. I, I hate the game. I hate everything about. Yeah. and then of course they naturally uh you know maybe retire for for, for the season yeah mm-hmm. i think that so, I, I think it's going to be a big issue and i'm really i'm actually really worried um because yeah. uh it's like we haven't seen anything yet and actually in esports yeah. in general we haven't seen anything like like there hasn't been that many like suicide attempts and that's what worries me the most to be honest is we haven't seen it yet i think there's been a couple cases in korea that have happened for league of legends um but it hasn't been a ton but i think as soon as that happens like the dynamic around this burnout discussion goes from being how do we prevent it to like oh shit it's already happening and it's like in the forefront and that's what terrifies me the yeah. most um kind of going yeah, in there so yeah that's why it's so paramount that the players have to you know have fun that's why it's my i say it was like the most important thing even in like when I, we are traveling out trying out mm-hmm. players i mentioned that you guys have to have fun right yeah that i keep repeating it at the start of the everyday of the trials i want the player to know korean western whoever that yeah. that's the one of the most important thing that i think justice holds dear uh, and I think that was also like maybe one of my uh, definitely one of my flaws in gladiators. I don't think I managed to uh, drive the players to have fun. I thought I was a competent. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm a competent strategic coach, but I, I felt that I didn't, yeah, uh, sufficiently mm-hmm. make the player feel that you know they want to play the game. And that is something I hope. I think I was experimenting a couple of things with Team Singapore when I started coaching Team Singapore. Yeah, it's kind of off topic, but when I started coaching Team Singapore, a lot of people were burnt out. They weren't playing the game. And I, I think we had we created a few things like small little things like you know mini games. Uh, I make uh, mini games. I play with the players. Nice. I, I I started ranking myself as well because I, I want I was telling them guys I'm not a good player. I don't want to see anyone uh being less than a thousand SR between my SR and your SR. You guys have to be. That's yeah. stuff. So you know small little jibe, you know talk to the players and I think a lot of them are ranking more now and it's like mm-hmm. a small little competition we even have like this thing ongoing the highest SR at the end of like the week they get the LA Gladiators hoodie which I have a lot of 
So small little things like that, I think really, really helps with the players. Yeah, and it means a okay. lot to them. I, I want to ask you something else about your coaching. What do you mm -hmm. think the relationship between a player and a coach should be? Because boundaries are something that I think are, you have to be very careful with boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, and those mm -hmm. how much those boundaries blur between being a coach and being a friend, right? Where, where do you see yeah. the relationship between a coach and a player? So, so uh, that was, when I, in my time in the army, that was a superior I really, really, really respected. This guy was, this guy, I felt like this guy was a disciplinarian. He mm -hmm. wasn't afraid to punish a soldier when the soldier made a very bad mistake. Yep. But he was a very, very fair person. And he was a very empathetic person as well. Even after he punished you, before, after, he would listen to your tech and he would, he would go, you know, you, you do understand why I'm doing this, right? That sort of stuff. And he knew when to be stern. He knew when to be empathetic. And I think that's a very, very hard line to draw, right? Because if mm -hmm. you're overly nice, as high as it says, sometimes players, sometimes soldiers, they, they take advantage of that. Yeah, you right? get manipulated. But Exactly, you get manipulated. Uh, and it's, 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 I mean, it even happens in like, you know, parent, parent, yeah. baby relationship. It's kind of human, it's kind of human it. nature. Human, we, if we, yeah, human if we can push the bounds, we generally will. Yeah. So, uh, but... So if I'm too uh, overly empathetic, that's not great. But if I'm overly strict, then the players are not going to uh, see me as a guy that actually listens to their problem, yep. right? So I would say that I understood how important that is from the start. And I went through, like I said, Justice is my night team. But I, I team one, team two, team three, team four, team five, team six, I was just failing, 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 failing. Uh, even now, I, I'm not a master at a crowd because it's, it's a very hard craft to master, yeah. right? But it's something that I'm aware of the importance and it's something that every single team, different team I go, I try to change something that I thought I, I did wrong the, in the previous mm -hmm. team I worked with. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I, 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 think I, I think I'm a little bit better. I, I, I'm confident I'm a little bit better know, knowing when to draw the line between how strict I want to be and between, uh, yeah, being, I want to be, still be a listening ear to the player. Yeah. yeah. You want to you be like someone that they respect enough to come talk to you about issues but understand yeah. that you're going to be fair and consistent with any sort of consequences for the actions that they do. Well put. Yeah, it's my job to 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 reiterate those things in good, clear ways. Um, also, I used to teach people how to do stuff like that, which I thought, like parents. I used to actually teach a parenting class, and so that was one of the things about being a parent wow. is if you're too loose um, or you're mm -hmm. too too nice, you're not you're actually hurting your child. But if you're too hard, yeah. you're also hurting your child. It's finding that yeah. actions have consequences and. Yeah, you you need a balance there, and so that's really good. So you're going to be going to BlizzCon with Team Singapore. Um, Obviously, uh, Singapore does not have as much talent even in the player. But how do you guys think you're going to do in uh, a BlizzCon? Is it more of a let's let's all just have fun? We're going to go there. We're just going to have fun. That that motto you want there. We know that yeah. maybe we're not going to be the best team. Um, if you upset people and actually won the the entire thing, that would be probably like the best promotional marketing material you could ever have going yeah. into Washington. But what, what's your guys' goal so, going into BlizzCon? Yeah. So we we want to go there and and. And upset people. Yeah, we we are we are practical. We know that we're not gonna go like a team US and team Korea. They're, they're such they're so bad at the game. You know, it's just gonna yeah. crash them easy. Yeah. everyone's everyone's rational, right? But we think we can pull off some upsets. It's mm -hmm. a little bit do with luck as well because the the current system of the BlitzCon makes it hard for. It's a little bit RNG because it's mm -hmm. I think it's single elims. So yeah, if you face like a strong team on the onset, then maybe you get eliminated. But I think. Yeah. We, I hope, I, I'm confident we are one of the stronger teams there because, yeah, because of what I've seen in screams, because of the things we have worked through together, uh, <laughs> we are improving day by day. Uh, we went from one of the weaker teams in the Asia Pacific region into you know being able to scream like 
strong Korean teams and, and being equal. So I don't want to raise everyone's expectations, but I would like to say we are very dangerous underdog for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I have one last question for you. This has been a fun... I've enjoyed my time. I don't know if you've enjoyed... If you did like your time, I'm sorry. It's too bad, John. You're, you're no, just... it, was, it was really fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Great question. So... So uh, I have one last question for you. It's arguably the hardest yeah. or easiest, depending on who you are. Um, you've had the experience being on this show. It's been long mm-hmm. and fun. If you could see anyone be on the show, the criteria, they have to speak English because I do not speak other languages and I'm uncultured. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can be involved in YouTube, streaming, esports in some capacity. Who would you yeah. like to see on the show? If you pick someone I've had, I'll let you know. Jane uh, or Arrow. Those are good picks. Okay, cool. Well, that's all the questions that I have for you, John. It's been a pleasure. If you would like a soapbox to go plug all your stuff or say something, now's your time. I normally don't get it, but if you want it, you can have it. Um, support the Washington Justice. We, we, we will be a good team. We are going to be a good team next year, and we are going to blow your mind. Okay, I think that's a, a good ending note for everyone out there. This has been The Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and until next time, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you.